Well, stand with me, if you would, out of respect for the Word of the Lord. We do that every week here at Woodland, in case you wonder why. In the early days of the church, they never sat down for the preaching. One day, Constantine, the emperor of Rome, after he had become a Christian, got tired because the sermons were really, really long. We're talking several hours long. I feel that kind of anointing tonight. So one of his aides looked at him and says, my Lord, be seated because you are weary. And he says, nay, it is wickedness to sit down at the preaching of the Word of God. Well, you can sit down at the preaching, but we always stand out of reverence because this is one time we know we're going to hear from the Lord. Psalms 117, the shortest psalm in the Bible, but full of faith and full of the gospel. Would you read it with me this evening? Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise Him, all you people of the earth. For His unfailing love is powerful, and the Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now that short little psalm carries the gospel. It's a call to all the nations. It's a prophetic call to what's going to take place on this night almost 2,000 years ago. But it's also a blessing. And it was fulfilled in this passage from Luke chapter 2 that you're so familiar with. That night, there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find him wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, and suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, would you read with me, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Father, in the next few minutes, I ask you to help us to understand that Christmas is absolutely for everyone. The Bible is full of the call that for God so loved the world. And I pray that you will give us a fresh glimpse of Christmas tonight. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. I asked the Lord last year after our Christmas Eve services, and as I began to think and to plan, and you might not know it, but we kind of plan all year long for this service. I said, Lord, the story has never lost its fascination for me. Christmas has never lost its fascination. It's never become old or dull, but I just help me to, to see something new, to catch something fresh in the Christmas story that I might pass that on to our congregation this year. And one of those things that just really caught me was when later in the year, as I was reading through my Bible, I came to the nativity story in Revelation. And not often do we think about the nativity story in Revelation, but it's important to remember that there was a tremendous battle that took place on the night that God invaded the darkness of this earth. There was a tremendous battle as the enemy sought to devour that child, and God protected him. And you'll remember the story of how Herod would slaughter the infants of Bethlehem in his desire to destroy and to keep another king from arising. And I thought about how evil has always had this fight against good. And 
I remembered, and Becky and I were recently talking about this and sharing this with the board who was over at our house for Christmas dinner. We were talking about how when Christopher was little and we were watching a Disney movie on at the theater and Good was fighting evil and the name of the movie was Fantasia. And finally, Good triumphed over evil and collapsed evil and we hadn't noticed that Christopher had crept up on the arm of his chair and when Good had conquered evil, Christopher stood up in his chair and went, praise God! And the whole theater just jumped and then everybody started clapping and laughing and he just kind of sunk back down, but he got caught up in the story that God had come to crush and to defeat, even though that may not have been what Disney was intended, that God had come to crush and to break sin and its power over us. And as I thought about that, and I looked in Revelation, and I remembered my son, there's several things that really stand out to me. And maybe you need to hear this, or maybe those of you who are watching online, and there are people watching tonight in airports, or people watching in sunny resorts in Florida that are letting me know they're going to be worshiping with us tonight. But you need to know God's love has been reaching out for you from all of eternity. God has always loved you. And maybe tonight you're here and you think, I just don't love God enough, or you wish that you loved God more. Well, I would like to suggest to you the Christmas story says something to you just a little bit different. Your focus shouldn't be on how much you love God, but your focus should be on how much God loves you. And as you focus on the amazing love and grace of God, you will grow to learn to know God and to love God more and more. Christmas is every, for everyone. It doesn't matter if they're Buddhist. It doesn't matter if they're Jewish. It doesn't matter if they're Muslim. It doesn't matter if they believe in God or they don't believe in God. Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came to lay down his life for everyone. Recently, I heard someone say to me or ask me, he says, I, I went to a church recently where they said basically that God picks and chooses who gets saved. And I said, no, that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says that to whosoever will. The Bible is very clear that Christ came for everyone, to as many as would receive him. And that's the key is to those that would receive him, he would give the power to become sons of God. So tonight I'd like us to look at just a few things quickly that I think the Holy Spirit wants to remind us of is that God is good to everyone all the time. God is good to all of us all the time. I am 24,987 days old as of today. That's a lot of days. Let me say that again. I want you to be impressed with that. 24,987 days old. Some of you are younger. Some of you are older. But I'm telling you, for Dennis Clanton, that's how many days of grace that I have experienced. That's how many days that God has forgiven me of every sin, of everything I've ever done, or everything that I sh should have done that I didn't do. That's how many days of mercy and grace that I've experienced and I'm so thankful for that because no matter whether I've been good or bad, naughty or nice, God has always been good to me. God has always been good to you. Can you say amen to that? He's always been good to us. God is, if you'll let me say it this way, God is gooder than Santa Claus because Santa Claus keeps a naughty or nice list. One little boy told my grandson recently, his name is Rivers, he says, I got cold last year for Christmas. 
I don't know if that's true or not, but every child is afraid of getting cold and whether or not he's been good enough to be on the nice list or whether he's been naughty enough to be on the naughty list. But God doesn't keep a list like that. The Bible tells us in Psalms 145 and verse 9, the Lord is good to everyone. And by the way, he's good all the time. You know, it's one of the big differences between Christianity and so many other religions of the world. We don't believe in karma. Karma says that if you're good, then good's going to come back to you, that somehow or another the universe is going to be kind to you, that if bad things are happening in your life, you must have been a bad person, and bad karma is happening to you. Friends, there's nowhere in the Bible to justify that. God, the Bible says, look at Matthew 5 and verse 45, this is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless of the good and bad, the nice and the nasty. God is good to everyone all the time. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this evening? All the time. It's what theologians call common grace. And we don't want to forget that because we don't want to buy into this issue that God is good if I'm good. God is nice if I'm nice. God is good whether I'm naughty or nice. But that's what makes the message of Christmas so important because at Christmas time, the love of God appeared and the Bible says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 4 and 5, would you read this with me as soon as it comes up on the screen? When the kindness and love of God our Savior appear, He saved us. Would you read that again? When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. One more time. When the kindness and the love of God appeared, he saved us. Now look at your neighbor tonight and says, God came to save you. If you know them, look at them and say, God came to save you tonight. It's an amazing story because God pours his love out on everyone. God pours his amazing love. God pours his amazing grace. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says, God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. Sometimes when I get really angry about something I see in politics or I get really angry about what I see happening in world events, I have to stop and I just have to pull out my Bible sometime and just calm down and say, no, God, you've never made a person you didn't love. In my desire to see right done, in my desire to see justice done, don't ever let me succumb to hatred because God never created a single person that he didn't love. In the book of Psalms, again, in verse 42 and verse 8, the Bible says, each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. How many of you have ever been called in a pouring rain before? You get soaked to the bone right away. How many of you have ever sat under a waterfall and you felt the power and the feeling of that water as it falls down upon your shoulders? And I can remember once just having to lock in and brace myself at Iguazu Falls in, in South America while those thunderous falls fell upon my shoulder and braced myself in. And I thought about that when I stayed recently in an economy motel on a trip I couldn't get into where I normally stayed at, and I had some points to stay for free. So I had to stay in an economy motel that cost me a lot of money for an economy motel. And when I stepped in to get a shower that night, 
It didn't pour, it dribbled. And if there's anything that is horrible after a long day on the road, it's a dribbling shower. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in here? I hate those water-saving things that you have to dance in to get wet. I want a shower that when it comes, I want it to soak my hair. I want it to soak my body. I want something with some force and power behind it. I want to feel the power of the water. And tonight, I want you to experience the outpouring of the amazing love and the grace of God that came to you on Christmas night in Christ Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about, that God came to save us. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, because love pays attention. Love pays attention. Love is attention. If you don't pay attention to when someone is talking, you don't love them. You know what it's like to sit there and have lunch with somebody and then tap on their phone or do something, and you're trying to have a conversation. They're not paying attention to you. Or maybe you're in a marriage sometimes where you want to have a conversation and it's hard to get to somebody's eyes off the ball game. And how about the Lions today? Aren't we grateful for that? I know I shouldn't have said that right now, but I just kind of, I got to tell you, they put a couple of gray hairs on my head again today. I didn't think they were going to pull it off. But anyway, love pays attention. Look at Job chapter 23 and verse 10. He knows the way I take, and he pays attention to it. God pays attention. He knows every step. He knows every hair. He knows every breath, every heartbeat of your life because he loves you. Love acts. God took action for you and me because of our sins. It still amazes me that God who created us and breathed his life in us, it's love that is hard to comprehend that God said, even though they've rebelled against me, I'm going to save them. And look with me at Luke 2.11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me share something with you. If someone doesn't pay attention to you, and if someone doesn't act on your behalf, they don't love you. But you know when someone pays attention to you and acts on your behalf, not in the short run, but in the long run of life, they're loving you, and they're loving you well. And sometimes there's painful times in those relationships. Sometimes there's painful days. Recently, someone called me and asked me, he says, how could God understand what I'm going through? And I said, well, that's kind of easy. Jesus knows what it means to be rejected. The Bible says when he took our sins upon himself, that God turned his back upon him. God knows what it means to be misunderstood. There were so many people in the Gospels that misunderstood Jesus. God understands pain because he took everyone's pain upon himself. God understands all of our pain. It's why he's known as the suffering Savior. It's why some of my friends have struggle who, who are part of other faiths that when I talk to them about Jesus and why I serve Jesus, and they say, but if he was God, why would he have suffered this way? If he was really God, why wouldn't he have done this? Or done? There's a thousand reasons you could come up with why God should have done things differently. But the reason God didn't is so that God could identify with every single one of us in this room. God understands whatever the pain is that you're facing. He bore your pain. He bore your sorrow. He understood your emotions. 
You might not believe it, but the Bible tells us God weeps. The Bible tells us God laughs. The Bible tells us God grieves. The Bible tells us that God shares tears. The Bible is clear that God understands the emotions of our lives. Tells us at times that God rejoices and even dances over the people that he loves. And then there are times that he's ever frustrated. It's because he made us that he understands us. And he made us in his image. He made us in his image. Sometimes teenagers don't like it when I tell them this, and I recently had the opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation with a young adult that's struggling with their mom and dad, and so if you're listening and you're a teenager or a young adult, please hear me tonight. Nobody knows you like your mother and dad. Nobody understands you like your mother and dad. And you can let your friends and you can let everybody else tell you they don't understand you, but they brought you into this world. They've loved you since you were a baby. They raised you. They cared for you. They know what you've been through. They've seen how you react. They know what made your little boy or little girl jump up and down and what broke your little boy or little girl's hearts. But there is a God in heaven that knows you better, loves you better, and will never stop loving you and will never give up on you. And he sent his son Jesus to bear our sorrow and to understand our pain, I think that's something to be happy about on Christmas Eve. Could we take time to give him another hand of praise this evening? (laughs) Psalms 33 and verse 15, he made their hearts so he understands everything they do. And God is never shocked. God is never shocked by what breaks your heart. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those who whose spirits are crushed. Now, don't, let, don't rush past that verse. I feel that. Every time I read that, I feel that. That word, crushed. And I dare say that every one of us in this room, perhaps except with the exception of small children, we know what it means to have our hearts crushed. We know what it means to have our hearts broken. We know what it means to suffer disappointment. And the Bible says that when you are brokenhearted or crushed, that God is always close. Don't run from him. Run to him and find the strength and the comfort that only God can bring. And the next, and this is probably the most important point I want to make tonight, You can't talk about Christmas without talking about the cross because God took upon himself the sins of everyone. It took one of my Jewish friends recently as we were talking together and we were talking about some of the current events that are happening and it broke our hearts. We made a flight together to Washington, D.C. and there we met with some other leaders and He said, you know, people don't take sin seriously anymore. And I thought about that. And I think we tend to take it seriously around here, but I don't think he was talking about perhaps the church, but the culture, or perhaps the synagogue, but the culture. Carl Menninger, a number of years ago, when I was a young student in college, he wrote a book, Whatever Happened to Sin?, And this famous psychiatrist wrote about what was happening to our culture as we tried to justify our sins. 
You know, one of the reasons that God hates sin so much is not because God hates sinners. God loves sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We were born in sin. We were shaped in sin. God loves us. What God hates about sin is because sin is rebellion against God. Sin is a, a renunciation of his authority over our lives. Sin is ravishing or ravaging our souls. Sin ravages our relationships. It ravages our communities and our nations. It's why God hates sin is because of what it does to us. And because we're all sinners, we live in a world where we just kind of get used to sin, and we go, well, that's just who we are. It may be who we are, but we were created to be something better, and that's what makes the story of grace so amazing, that God sent his son into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I talked to you a few moments ago about liking a powerful shower. Back on our family farm down in Georgia, my dad loved to tell the story about a dog they had that hated skunks. And any time a skunk came out of the river swamp on the back of our property, that old dog would go after him and chase him down until finally he could catch him and kill that skunk, and he would stink to high heaven. And my uncles and my daddy would laugh as they talked about Buster, as they called him. He would be running up and down the fence rows with his nose to the ground, running back and forth, acres after acre, trying to get that stink off of him. And then he'd come to the house, and somebody, usually the younger brother, which was my daddy, would have to go out and catch Buster and go tie him up in a field somewhere because he stunk so bad around the house. And eventually, my grandmother and a couple of the boys would go out there and bring a foot tub out. And if you know what lye soap is, they would scrub Buster down with lye soap while Buster just wailed and hollered until they got the stink off of him. Buster couldn't clean himself. And I'm going to tell you something else. That's the problem with sin. We can't cleanse ourselves from sin. Only Jesus can cleanse us from sin. Only Jesus can cure us of sin. It's why we used to sing a song in church, and maybe you remember this song, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the... Would you say that just a little louder so I know you're confident in it? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then we would belt it out, Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so you can't think about this manger without looking at that cross and realizing that this baby that was born was the Lamb of God that came to take away our sins. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6. Jesus sacrificed himself for all people to free them from their sins. And then in John chapter 1 and verse 29, the next day John, John the Baptist, the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would you read that last sentence with me? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would you do that one more time? The Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world. 
And then finally tonight, God invites all who believe and receive his son to dwell with him forever. Kate Holloman will always stand out in my mind as a true saint. When I was a boy, she believed in me. She'd come pray with me and visit me. She'd read scripture over me. Kate didn't have very much. And when I was a young man and felt like God was calling me to the ministry and no one took me seriously on that, Kate took me seriously on that. And I went to college. Kate would often send offerings to help me along the way. Kate was the first one to teach me how to memorize Scripture. Kate was the first one to teach me how to take notes on Scripture. Kate was the one, if you remember me talking about the favorite song I had, the favorite song as a child was, I've got a mansion just over a hilltop. But Kate lived in probably the most dangerous part of our city. And what Kate did for me, Kate did for hundreds of other children. Years later, I would be in that city, and I went by to see Kate. There was gangland graffiti. There was gunshot-up buildings. And Kate still lived in the same little white house with the same little white picket fence, and she was widowed. But the grass was green. The flowers were beautiful. Her house was perfect. And I walked into Kate's house, and I said, Kate, you need to leave. You need to get out of this community. It's too dangerous for you to be here. And Kate's already almost 90, and she's very weak, and she's not far from heaven. And she looks at me, and she says, Denny, I am the safest here that I'll be anywhere. Everyone around here protects me. Because so many of those gang members she had loved, she had cared for, she had taught them what she had taught me. I've got a mansion that God loves them. God has a plan for their life. No matter what they did, whether they were naughty or nice, Kate showed them Jesus. And in just a few minutes, we're going to light candles. And the whole purpose of us lighting those candles is to remind you and I that when we go out of this world, we're showing Jesus to people. We're showing what Christmas is all about. That every time you and I, where we do business, where we work at, or who we employ, whatever we do, we're revealing Jesus. The way we love our wives or the way wives love their husbands, the way we love our children, a family that loves Jesus together, they're revealing what Christmas is all about in a church that goes out together like that. That's a powerful witness and a testimony. But it's not an exclusive thing. And it doesn't belong to the middle class. It doesn't belong to the upper class. <clears throat> it belongs to everyone who will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, stand with me this morning or this evening, and I want you to read John chapter 1 and verse 12 with me. Let's read this out loud. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Would you read that again? To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's a promise. God doesn't lie. Look at me. God doesn't lie. He's made you a promise that says, if you will receive me, 
I'll give you the right to become a child of God. The little boy rivers that I referred to a few moments ago, there's a family that loves him, welcomes him into their home. And when his little buddy told me, last year Rivers got cold in his stocking, I was able to tell him, this year Rivers is going to get gifts because your daddy has bought him gifts. It's not a matter whether you're naughty or nice. God is good, and all the time, God is good to everyone. To you, to you, to you, to you, and believe it or not, to me as well. And I feel like I'm the least deserving of all God's goodness. But He's good to everyone all the time. Secondly, God, God wants you in His family. I mean, think about that for just a moment. God wants you in His family. There's a family here at the church. They tell our family, now you're our family. They've told us this for years. On Father's Day cards, day I get Father's Day cards. Mother's Day cards, Becky gets Mother's Day cards. They've just made us family. They've included us. They've loved us. You wouldn't recognize them. They just bring us in. And so for almost 25 years, we've just been family. And can I tell you what an honor that is? To be family? To be wanted and welcomed into a family? But the greatest honor tonight is the God of all heaven and earth. The God I hope you never take for granted. The Savior I hope you never take for granted. The God of all heaven and earth says, I want you. Look at me. I want you. I want you. I want you so very much. Look at me. And I sent my son to cleanse you of what you cannot cleanse yourself from. That's why Christ came into the world. You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So I wrote a prayer this evening, and I want us all to pray it together. It's in your outline, but I believe it's going to come up on the screen as well. And if you can put that up, go ahead and put that up on the screen tonight. You don't have to close your eyes. I want us to pray this prayer together. Read with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for opening my eyes tonight. God, you are good all the time. I can see that I am more flawed than I ever thought. However, I am more loved than I ever dreamed I could be. By faith, that means you trust him. By faith, I turn from my old life of sin to follow Jesus, who took my sin and pain to the cross so that I could be saved and receive him into my heart as the Lord of my life. That means the ruler. You're submitting to his rule, to his authority in your life. From this Christmas Eve forward, help me to live for your glory by your power. 
And thank you for preparing for me a forever home of love, peace, and joy with you and all who love the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that just now, and you really meant that, look at me, you really meant that from the bottom of your heart. You may not feel anything emotional, but let me tell you three things that just happened. Number one, God heard you. Number two, God believed you. And number three, God just moved into your life. He has moved into your heart, and he lives there. And you can expect something to happen. You're going to begin to change day by day and become a little bit more like Jesus. And one day, somebody's going to look at you, and they're going to say, tell me how I can have the peace and the love and the joy that you have. Can you say amen? God bless you. You may be seated. If those that will help me with a candle ceremony, if you'll come on up this evening. By the way, as we prepare to light the candles, if your child has a candle, please be sure you watch them. Let them feel free to take the candle. And, and we're going to light from one candle to simplify that Jesus is the light of the world. And then the candles will be lit as you go up the aisle, and you'll light your neighbor's candle as well. Okay?
We thank you for coming and being a part of our Christmas Eve candlelight service tonight. And we wish you a most wonderful, merry, merry Christmas. Go and enjoy your families and your friends and your loved ones, but remember the one that loved you the most. You may blow out your candles now. God bless you and Merry Christmas.